0: Matthew chapter three. Several months ago, President Obama announced that America was no longer a Christian nation. Now that single statement shot around our country, and um, boy, got quite a bit of pushback. It shocked a lot of people. A couple of months ago, someone asked me what I thought about that statement. And, and i know there's probably as many different opinions on that statement as, as um, there are people in the room and uh, and mine's only an opinion but my response to that statement was i think he was stating the obvious America's no longer a christian nation Is is that really surprising it, no matter how much we want it to be it doesn't it doesn't change reality does it no matter where we came from, it doesn't change where we are. Is America really a Christian nation now? Well, as I thought about that, I thought, well, in what way are we a Christian nation? Is it, is it, the, is it the, the full legalization of abortion and the industry of taking the life of an unborn child? Is that is it the prayerlessness of our country? Prayer's been removed from public settings and from the school, and is being challenged continually. What about the abandoning of absolute truth, or the divorce rate that's nearly 50 percent, or or the sheer gluttony and abuse of our country, humanistic teaching that now dominates the public education system on every level, or the greed of Wall Street, where people are cutting deals worth millions and billions of dollars while while middle class and other class people who are working everyday jobs get robbed out of their retirement and everything else or maybe the entertainment industry <laughs> you could just spend a couple of months there what what is it about America that would cause us to defend its it's state today and say it's a christian country it's not a christian country now whatever president obama's motives were for saying that i don't know but it's it's tough to debate the fact in the span of a few decades america has taken a dramatic spiritual shift unfortunately we're on a we're on a course directly behind europe in spirituality we just keep kind of trailing along behind them Without a doubt, America is a mission field. Now, next time you're at your computer, jump on the word, type the word missional, and see what happens. When you type the word missional on your computer, what's going to happen is a bold red squiggly line is going to jump underneath it and tell you that that word's misspelled. Do you know why your computer's going to tell you that word's misspelled? It's going to tell you that word's misspelled because that word's less than 12 years old. Nobody, nobody ever heard of that word over 12 years ago. What does what the word missional mean? Well, about 12 years ago, six people who, uh, missiologists a missiologist is a person that studies the mission field all around the world. And about 12 years ago, six missiologists who've been studying cultures, we've been doing this for well over 100 years, studying the different mission fields of the world, trying to figure out how do we penetrate those cultures with the gospel of Jesus. Six of those missiologists turned their science onto American culture. And they said, I wonder what would happen if we begin to think about America as a mission field. What would begin to happen if we if we begin to study it and talk about it and think about it as a mission field. Now that original study gave birth to a national and international conversation about the state of the, of American spirituality, American church and American culture. From those 6 that team of six people, the word missional, was born. Now, it's a reverse for us to think about America as a mission field. Because we've been the missions sending mother church, mother unit unit for, for decades and a few centuries. But if you follow the patterns in the world today, the revival that's going on in the world now is in Latin America and in Africa, and, and in Asia. People are coming to faith in Christ at unprecedented rates in that realm, and the, the, the hub of Christianity by the year 2050 won't be in America anymore. It'll be in Africa. Africa will be the largest Christian area in the world in, in a few decades. Because there's an there's a incredible shift happening in the world today. Now, thinking of America as a mission field is a new idea. What does the word missional mean? Missional means doing the great commission in your culture. That's what it means. Doing the great, being on mission in your culture. Now, this conversation has revealed all kind of realities about American Christianity. Now, look, I realize statistics are like listening to the vitamin disclaimer about everything that could go wrong with you if you take the pills the TV said you ought to take. I understand that. Let me give you three. We've been told by all the polls that have been given for probably 50 years that in America, 40 to 50% of Americans attend church on a regular basis. Or on any given Sunday, somewhere between 40 and 50% of Americans will be in a worship service somewhere. <laughs> As those missiologists turn their science onto America, we begin to learn a whole lot more. Actually, the reality is on any given Sunday in America, 17% of the population will be in a worship service, 83% are not. Furthermore, America is now the largest English-speaking mission field in the world. There are more unsaved, lost English-speaking people in America than anywhere on the planet. It's a mission field. In the the last 20 years, the percentage of people who claim to be born-again Christians has dropped 34% in America. That's a 10% cliff in 20 years. America is a mission field. You and I, as people who claim to be born-again Christians, are in the unarguable minority in American life. We're not not in the majority. We're the minority. There, There are fewer people like us than there are not like us. America is a mission field. However you cut it, and you could go over all kind of studies and information and everything else. However you cut it, there's one thing that's really clear about American life today. Christianity is shrinking in America at an unprecedented rate. It's falling off a cliff. It's, it's It's on an absolute free fall. It's becoming more marginalized all the time. Christianity is now a subculture of America. It's not mainstream anymore. For sure, I don't I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what the future is gonna hold, but I know this whatever the future holds, in twenty years the church in America will look very little how it looks today. We we are under radical, unprecedented change that we've become so accustomed to because it shot through our vein like morpheme on such a regular basis we don't even notice it anymore. We're on a bullet train. Whoa! This thing is moving. It is moving. What do you do in a post-Christian America? What do you do? Well, look at Matthew chapter 3. Post-Christian American life. Let me set the scene for you. When John the Baptist came on the scene... Rome had risen to power and become the undisputable global power. The Greek mind had given light to high intellect, high thinking, high, high, uh, all, all kind of intellectual thinking and discussion. The world that John the Baptist walked into was very pluralistic. By the way, the world has never ceased to be pluralistic. <laughs> it's just new to us. The, the, you, you don't think that you don't think that Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism started 20 years ago? It's just that it's it's new in America. But but the but the world that John the Baptist ran into was pluralistic. There were all kinds of religions squishing and 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 vying for the same space. And John the Baptist walks in on this scene. Now look at Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, as you look at those verses... You see that, that John the Baptist, we've, we've talked about him as a voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist was saying to this group, Look, times are changing. We're no longer in our own culture. We're under the reign of Rome. And the way that we do Judaism, the way that we do religion, the way that we do church and reach the world around us is changing. The Jews had become comfortable in their routine and God sent John the Baptist to say, if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss this one. Jesus is coming and you're going to miss him if you don't pay attention. He's not going to look like Moses looked. He's going to look different. He's going to talk different. He's going to sound different. John's job was to tell them Jesus was coming and things were changing. They were about to switch from an Old Testament way of doing doing things to a New Testament way of doing things. Now, I know we use the word repent a lot, and to us, it generally means I'm going the wrong way and I'm doing wrong things. Repent and turn away from wrong things. That's not how it's used here. When John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't mean everything you've done up until now is wrong. Repent and turn from your wrongness. What he means is, re- repent here means turn to God for a new way. Turn fresh to God. The world has changed Rome is in power. You are no longer Israel under the King David's reign. You're no longer the world power. Everything around you shifted. Turn to God for a new voice. Turn to God for a new word. Turn to God for a new way. Turn fresh to Him. And be open to hear Him say things to you that you've never heard Him say before. That's what repent means here. It means go back to the same God the God of your fathers and forefathers, and hear Him fresh. Hear Him in a new way for a new time. What He's saying to them is, the same God that brought you Abraham, the same God that brought you Moses, the same God that brought you David, is about to bring you Jesus. But, He'll look different. What He's saying to them is, look, let's don't try to go back to the high priest. And have him go into the Holy of Holies. And offer a sacrifice for us once a year. Let's don't don't go back to that. Let's move with the Spirit of God into the future. John the Baptist is saying, as great as the parting of the Red Sea was. As great as the stories from Mount Sinai are. As great as the cloud by day and the fire by night. We can't go back there. Jesus is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. The same Lord that did those things is moving now, but He looks different. Then He looked like a finger of lightning from the sky that came down and wrote the Ten Commandments on a tablet. Then He looked like plagues that would rush over Pharaoh's house and free his people to go into the Promised Land. There he looked like the parting of the Red Sea and manna that fell from heaven. But this time he's not going to look like that. This time you know what he's going to look like? A carpenter. Well, that's not very exciting. This time he's going to build, you know, tables and chairs. This time he's going to wear sandals like us. This time, he's going to wear a robe like we do. This time, he's going to sit over a meal and break bread with us and talk to us. This time, he's going to look different than he did before. Same God, but he looks different. Carpenter from a small town. When he speaks, though, his words will speak life. When he speaks, he will infuse life. When he shares, he will share with authority. When he speaks to the sick, the sick will be healed. When he speaks to the blind, their eyes will open. When he speaks to the demon-possessed, they will be set free. He 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 will be the same God in a different suit, in a different form. He'll be the same God in a different way. Now look, I just want to say this to you. We can remember... The great revivals of the 20th century. But we're not in the 20th century anymore. We, we can remember the great revivals of the 20th century, but we can't relive them. They're there. You can go back to your high school reunion, but you can't go back to high school. Anybody ever tried? And the reunion's not as fun as you think either, is it? We can't relive those. Thank God for those revivals. They gave birth to most of the churches that are in America today. Thank God for the millions who were saved. Thank God for Azusa Street. Thank God for Hot Springs, Arkansas. But that's not how America's going to be evangelized again. America will not be evangelized that way again. It'll come in a different form. Look... When, when the Brownsville Revival happened, my wife and I were in a church 45 minutes from the front porch of Brownsville Revival. And, and we, we went over some and we had people go over some. And God did, I, I mean, I know firsthand accounts of incredible things that God did there. But, but just listen to me for a minute. There were great things happening to a degree but but for the most part that revival was an inside church revival. Tour buses came from other churches all over the country. And what it became about was people showing up from all over the country hoping that 20th century revival would break out again and this would be the one that would turn the country around. Have you been to Brownsville lately? It's only a shell of what it was. The buses are gone. People aren't coming from all over the country anymore. And by and large, that part of Pensacola remains unreached. Do you you hear what I'm saying today? Attendance there is suffering dramatically. This is how God worked in Christian America but I don't know how to figure out how we're still in Christian America. We're not in Christian America. We're in post-Christian America. I wish we weren't. I don't want it. I don't like it. But we are. wish I could have just pastored 100 years ago and went with William Seymour and stuck my head in a milk crate and prayed and ran, ran with it. But somewhere you have to say, as you turn fresh to God, now listen to me, for such a time as this. Who knows, but God has brought us about for such a time as this. There have been easier times. There have been harder times. But none of that matters. The only time we have is the time that's now. And whatever it is, it is. And God has put us here now for such a time as this do you think for Esther it felt like the right time? She's the one that went to her uncle filled with apprehensions. And he's the one that comforted her and said, who knows? Maybe God has put you here to rescue the Jews for such a time as this. And certainly, he had. Now is not the time, now is not the time to turn back to the way it worked before. Now is the time to turn to God in a fresh way and say, God, help me connect with you on how your life can be delivered to a person in the mission field of America who doesn't know you. Help me. Help me. Now's not the time for answers. Now's the time for humility. Now's the time to say, God, we have to hear from you now. How how long, how long does the North American church continue on the path it's on, Christianity continue to drop, uh, uh, American church culture continues to become a subculture? I, I know we look around our nation and we say, man, there are more Mega churches than there have ever been. That's right. There are. But do you realize that 40% I'm sorry, do you realize that in the last 40 years the American church hadn't grown by 1%? You can rearrange the chairs on the Titanic but they're still like on the deck. Only 1% of growing churches in America today are growing from conversion growth the rest of them are growing from cannibalizing other churches. You understand what I'm saying? We can reorganize the church. We can get a new logo. We can get a new bulletin. We can dress it up and have everybody run over to another side of town and from a bunch of churches and make another one bigger and feel like we're having a great impact. But the numbers across decades tell us we're not. In 20 years the last 20 years christianity's nose dove by 10% you hear what i'm saying so so welcome to church this morning anybody encouraged yet here's here's what we have to do john the baptist says prepare the way jesus is coming can I tell you? I don't mean in the second, I don't mean the rapture sense, but can I tell you something? Jesus is meandering through the streets of America even now. He is walking the streets. He's sitting at dinner tables with broken people. He's speaking to them through every medium that we have available. And he's talking and talking and talking and telling them, "I love you." Jesus is coming, we have to prepare the way for the Lord. We, we have to move into the same vein that He's moving in. People from all over the world are coming to America. All over the world. All over the world. From every background, from every religion, from every economic status, people are more open spiritually than they have been in decades. Decades. Mark said it last week. What an unbelievable opportunity. People are, now the problem is they're open to everything. But hey, open to everything's better than shut to everything. I can tell you. If you've ever worked with shut to everything, you'd prefer open to everything. (laughs) Hey, it's easier to steer fire than it is to resurrect a corpse. Jesus never said, I will make you good church members. Jesus never said, I will make you good Sunday school teachers. Jesus never said, come follow me and I'll make you good board members. Jesus never said, come follow me and I'll make you good pastors. Jesus looked at those men who had abandoned what they had and followed him and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, now let me just ask you a question that I only want you to answer inside your own soul. Has your following of Jesus made you a fisher of people? Because that's what he claimed. Has my following of Jesus made me a fisher of people? Then maybe... Maybe Jesus is leading us in some places that we haven't gone yet. The day of unchurched people suddenly waking up on Sunday early enough to go to church first and saying, you know what I think I need? I think I need God in my life. And I think today I know where to find it. I'm going to go to the church. The day of unchurched people just taking it on their own to just... We're not in Christian in Christian America. Everybody was trained in Sunday school, and when they got really low or really down or something like that, they would remember what they were taught from children and come back to it. You're dealing with generations of people that don't have that. They don't have anything to come back to. There's no back. There's nothing there. And it's go- and it's only going to go that way more. People that it's not going to dawn on them. What they may say is, I- "I'm I'm miserable. I'm going to go to the Hindu temple and meditate." or one of the three mosques in Birmingham. I may go to one of the three Islamic mosques in Birmingham and see if see if something's there or get on the internet and surf for a while. It's not the default setting in everybody's mind. The day of of unchurched people showing up. That's done. I have sat with almost 200 people from our church and heard their heard their testimony. Heard their story. Do you know how many of you, just based on those those 200, based on the stories that I've heard, do you know how many of you found your way into the kingdom or into Kingwood and you did not have a meaningful relationship with another Christian? How many of that group? Two. The deal is fishers of men. The deal is, we're not going to ever have a service hot enough that it glows bright enough that, like bugs out in the night, as people drive by, they will see it and gravitate toward the light. What will happen, though, is what did Jesus say? What did Paul say? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What people want to know is is Jesus working for you? Is that Jesus you're following? Is He making your life better? Are you growing? Is your life changing? What happens when all the chips are down? Is, is God there then? And when you stand on the stage of life and say, Yes! He is there. And He's better than you could ever imagine. He's greater than you could ever hope for. And He changed my life. Can I tell you, that rings with people. People don't want to sign up for nothing else. They want answers. If they can look down through your eyes and see into your soul and realize there's something down in there that they don't have in here, they want it. They want it. Isn't that what happened at the woman at the well? Thirsty. Well, if you drink the water that I have, you wouldn't be thirsty. You'd be full. You'd be full of life. That happens through relationships. It happens through fishing of people outside. There are a hundred thousand people in Shelby County who claim no religious affiliation. A hundred thousand. Now I know we can't save America from here. I know we can't change the whole country. But what I want to share with you the next couple of weeks, stay with me through this whole deal. What, ab- what, about, what about our town? What about Alabaster and Pelham and Calera and Helena and Maylene? And what about our little area here? What about the 100,000 people that live in our area? Can we make a difference there? You know, I, I know we have pictures of lost people in our mind, and they almost always... We've hung these pictures up here because they usually don't look like this. Sometimes we think Americans are okay because they're American or, or they're better off economically than the rest of the world. But, but what about the single mom in Shelby County trying to raise her two kids who's just overwhelmed and confused and the enemy keeps pounding her brain with fear? What about the couple on the edge of divorce? What about the young person growing up in right here who has more options than they know what to do with? And no direction. What about the family who, who has a comfortable life, but their soul is cracked and dry and empty? Down and out and up and out are still out. And out is out is out. And and the enemy in that way has no respecter of persons. When, when we were... Um, when we were in Gulfport, uh, one of our uh, board members who worked at a business in town, RSC, Heavy Rental Equipment Company, he worked with a guy named Greg. And, uh, man, he would ask, sometimes we were together and he'd say, Boy, would you, uh, boy, when we pray tonight, let's pray for Greg. Hey, what's going on, Greg? He'd tell me about Greg. What's going on? You know, this is where Greg is. And I'm trying to share Jesus with him, but I, you know, I don't know. It's not working. Then finally Greg came to church one Sunday, you know. We're like, wow, Greg came to church. Well, this is great, you know. Then he didn't come back again for six months. He was gone. Greg was gone. Greg didn't know about that. He came a little bit, then he'd go away. And and I saw James, our board member who was on our worship team, he just kept loving that guy and and he just kept being Jesus to him. Kept loving him, taking care of him, praying for him, calling him, checking on him. He, he, he was just trying to be a fisher of people. You know what happened to old Greg? Greg, i tell you this story. He stood in our foyer one Sunday and told me this story. He said, "He said I didn't feel good one day, so I told James I was going to go home. And, and he, he let me off, so I was on my way home. And he said, I got to a stop sign, and I blacked out. And I have no idea what happened to me. He said, I woke up the next time I was in the hospital. He said, I, I don't know. He said, as I was sitting there, he, uh, he did say, before he blacked out, he said, left was home, and right was the hospital. And he said, something told me to go right, and I don't know why I went right, but I just turned right, and that's, then I blacked out. the last thing I remember. And I woke up in the hospital with doctors looking at me. He said, I have no idea what went wrong. He, he said, but I found out. He said, that day, I found out at 46 years old, I was a type 1 diabetic, and my sugar was off the roof, and I and I was about to die. And I didn't know it. My stomach had gotten sick, my brain had gotten sick, I couldn't, I was... Confused, I was overwhelmed. He said, something told me. He said, I didn't know what it was then, but I know what it is now. It was God. He said, I went that way. And he said, God saved my life. You know the first person he told? James. You know why? Because James loved him. He didn't try to turn him into a re- religious person or a church member or nothing else. He was just trying to show him Jesus. And Greg came and he said, he stood there in the 4 year church and he said, James led me to Christ. And he said, now now I know God saved my life. And I'll serve him as long as I live. And, and Greg's wife was not not at all happy about any of that. Had been wounded severely in church as a little girl. And was never walking back in the doors again as long as she lived. But in time, Greg was Jesus to her. And she started to soften her heart. And she started to come. And then Greg, we didn't even know this, was an incredible guitar player. The last time I stood in that room, behind me on the platform, was Greg playing the guitar. Jesus. Led by a guy... Who used to play the guitar every weekend in karaoke bars? Who was led to Christ through somebody else? America's a mission field. There are people everywhere that don't know, that don't know God. Are you ready for another experiment? By now, you've got to be laughing when I say that. Oh, Lord, where are we going now? Here's the deal. America has no front porch. For decades, people got to know each other on their front porch. Front porch is gone. It's just not there. And, and as the front porch has disappeared... We've lost the place to naturally, for Christians and non-Christians, to meet and to talk. We've lost the place. So what we're going to do in three weeks is we're going to do an outreach with one purpose. To try to build a relationship like James and Greg had with someone who's unchurched. Now, here's what we're going to call it. We're looking for 20 homes to host a block party in their neighborhood and invite unchurched people to it so that you can spend time just deepening your relationship with a person who's unchurched that's it just spend time where do you look look america's changed i, I, I know we all want to do the good samaritan story and and know all our neighbors what i want to say to you is the neighborhood in america's changed Your neighbor may not be your neighbor. Look inside your net hood. What's your net hood? It's your network hood. It's your network neighborhood. This this isn't isn't the deal where you go knock on people's door that you never met and say, boy, we're doing this thing and I want you to come because I know you don't go to church. Because I've skipped some and when I skip, your car's there. What you do is you look at the people you already know. Who do you already know? Maybe there's that guy you've been working with and you have felt... Listen, Jesus loves people. You have felt the, the heaviness from time to time on your heart for that person, but you didn't know how to go anywhere else with it. What do I do? I mean, I invite him to accept Christ or, or nothing. Is there anything in between that? Yes. Yes invite that guy. Just get to know him. Here's the deal. Can can you can you care for someone? And can you spend an hour and a half to 2 hours with people who don't go to church? That's the deal. It's not complicated. What about the the lady that works in the office next to you or the parent that you've been sitting by? at the football or baseball or basketball game and you've been wondering how to where do i go how, where's the next step how can i how can i get into their world invite them to a neutral place and just build a relationship just build a relationship you may say i don't know any unchurched people no problem Find someone, find someone in our church who does. And go to their house for the deal. And get to know their unchurched friends. See, we don't have to make it real hard. You you know what I, I just read recently? People that have been trained to do evangelism are less effective than people who haven't. Did you know that? Because we make it, we try too hard. We make it too hard. It's a relationship. It just, just deepen the relationship. Now, these, these little block parties, Pastor Benny's going to be having two, two times in the next month. You can meet with him. We'll tell you when they are. We'll do one on a Sunday night, one on Wednesday. You can come and he's going to share with you how to do this. Answer some questions but it's it's not really that complicated. These block parties aren't prayer meetings, they're not Bible studies, they're not preaching sessions. You don't have to write a sermon to do one. Look, I think one of the things we struggle with is this. Is it a spiritual function to build a relationship with an unchurched person? Now listen to me. If it's not, somebody's going to have to explain to me what Jesus' friend of sinners means. I'm not sure what that means if it's not a spiritual thing to be a friend of sinners. What was Jesus doing? But one day, the heart will open, the door will open, the window will open, and I'll tell you who people are going to turn to. The unchurched person's not going to turn to their local church. They're going to turn to the Christian who's been with them. And that's where God will say to you, for such a time as this, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. Basically, it's a short amount of time, hour and a half to two hours, You may say, my schedule's so blocked, I don't have a way to do this. We're going to make time. October 3rd, Sunday night, we're going to spend that time that we normally spend in service together reaching out. October 3rd, Sunday night. Can I tell you why that's a great time? Let me tell you what unchurched people do on Sunday night. Nothing. Nothing. you and I can turn this into an hour. where the whole, You put somebody who has Christ, the hope of glory inside them, up next close to someone who's confused or lost or open or in bondage or in fear or, or, or in apathy or complacency or separated from God. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will do some things. You don't have to make them happen. You don't have to drive them. You don't have to preach. Just, just get there. And some good things will happen.